Welcome back to Love God and Your Neighbor. I'm Laura Hutchinson, pastor of First Christian Church in Anniston, Alabama, and I am so glad that you've come to worship with us today. Joining us for our service today is our music team, Gerald Roberts, who is our director of music on keyboard, Annie Ingram on trumpet and percussion, and Jason Wright, our soloist and worship leader. It's a joy to get to do these podcasts with them, and so I'm thankful that they share their talents with us. I want to thank all of you who have sent in donations to First Christian Church in Anniston. Your offerings are a blessing and appreciated by us as well as by God. We would not be here if it weren't for the tithes and offerings of our faithful givers like you. So if you feel so moved today, please consider giving to God through us. You can either go to our page, www.fccanniston.org, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click the Donate Now button. PayPal is the only functioning donation option for the time being. Otherwise, you can donate by sending a check to First Christian Church at 1327 Layton Avenue, Anniston, Alabama, 36207. You can find this information in the About This Episode information of the podcast. Now, I invite you to gather your elements for communion, bread or crackers, juice or wine, and to light a candle. Let us welcome in the light of Christ as we come to the Lord with adoration and love. You may pause this recording while you go and get what you need. And now let us prepare ourselves for worship. We follow an unlikely Messiah with unsavory disciples into an unwelcoming world. And we do it knowingly that only such a movement with such leaders and participants is capable of welcoming in the kingdom of God. We worship today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Will you sing with me our hymn of praise? We call ourselves disciples found in your Friday Reminders email. We call ourselves disciples as pilgrims on the way. We seek the truth in wisdom and beauty in each day. As women, men, and children, we serve Christ God to clean in joyful Baptized in the Spirit to live the word indeed. In Christ we rise to newness, for in Him we have died. Now dead to powers of evil and free from hopeless fears, we live with faithful birth. Now the vision brightens, the light of Christ burns still in the hearts of all. 
today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. After John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Merciful God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Now, you may find this difficult to believe, but I was neither cool nor popular in high school. I know, mind-blowing. I went to Walton High School in Cobb County, Georgia, and boy, oh boy, what a school in which to try and fit in. It was the Beverly Hills 90210 School of Georgia or of the East Coast, and it seemed like everyone was rich and everyone was beautiful, even the nerds. There were so many different cliques and groups, and still I struggled to find my place there. There were the jocks and the cheerleaders, of course. There were the student government overachiever types. There were the artsy kids who skipped all the pep rallies and wore all black. There were the rich kids, which was almost everyone in that school, at least compared to me. There were the band and the orchestra kids, and there were the clean-cut Christian kids, members of Young Life and the big Baptist churches in town. I was in the orchestra, so you'd think that would have been my group, but for some reason it wasn't. I don't know if I didn't fit in with them socially or if I didn't want to fit in with them. You see, I was insecure enough to think that they weren't cool enough for me to be friends with. Otherwise, the other kids in the school wouldn't like me. I was also a little bit a part of the Christian kids group. I mean, I was a Christian after all. I remember meeting them at Chick-fil-A for breakfast before school while someone led us in a devotion. These were also the folks that I sat with at lunch, so you could say that I was in that clique. And still, I never felt like I truly fit in there. In fact, I kind of wonder if anyone from my class even remembers me, honestly. 
My closest friends at that time in my life were in my youth group at church. These were my folks. These were the folks that I spent all my time with outside of school. They were, these were the folks that I had sleepovers with and invited to my birthday parties and hung out with on weekends. And still in this group, there was a part of me that didn't feel completely accepted. Looking back, I know that it was because I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin and that my friends weren't the problem. But still, I'm not sure if any of my friends saw my potential to be a successful person in life. And a couple of them actually said they couldn't see me as a minister, that they didn't think that I would be good at it. <clears throat> you see, I was at best forgettable in my youth, at worst, painfully insecure. I was the one picked last in PE. I was the one who had to reintroduce myself to last year's teachers because they didn't remember me after the summer was over. I was the one who was terrified to speak in public. I was a C average student. I was just nothing special. And yet Jesus called me to be one of his spokespersons. It simply doesn't make any sense to me, but that's the kind of guy Jesus is. <clears throat> As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will, fish, I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. There are a lot of things wrong with this account of Jesus recruiting his disciples. Not that the account itself is wrong. It's the way that Jesus went about doing things that was wrong. It shouldn't have worked at all. In Derek Penwell's book, Outlandish, An Unlikely Messiah, A Messy Ministry, and the Call to Mobilize, this point is outlined quite clearly. <clears throat> he says, Jesus is a difficult case. Indeed, it's not immediately clear why anyone would have wanted to follow him in the first place. He was an unlikely guy to lead a revolution, what with his feeble pedigree as an unknown rube from a blue-collar family, hailing from the Galilean backwater of Nazareth. He had no connections to speak of, no trust fund to, re to rely on, no savvy PR team to guide him through the labyrinthine world of power politics or high finance. He had no PhD, no MBA, no JD, no training at the finest rabbinical schools. As far as we know, he was never homecoming king, never presided over his college fraternity, was never voted most likely to succeed, and none of the gospel writers ever dropped hints about a strong jaw, cleft chin, or Hollywood hair, Warner Solomon's brushwork notwithstanding. Well, last week I preached the Mark scripture where Nathaniel asked Philip if anything good could come out of Nazareth. Remember? And here Penwell is further elaborating on why Jesus is such an unlikely candidate for the role of Messiah. And to further water down the mission, he walks up to some of his fishermen and says, Hey guys, follow me. The thing is, at that time, teachers did not call disciples. Disciples chose their teachers. To be a disciple 
was to see a person you respected and say, I'd like to sit at your feet and learn more from you. For a teacher to ask others to follow him was a desperate move and put the followers in a superior position over the teacher. In other words, it simply wasn't done. And here we see Jesus standing on the shore, calling out to Simon, Andrew, James, and John and saying, come and follow me. It shouldn't have worked. And yet it did. In addition to the fact that he called his disciples the wrong way, Jesus also called the wrong disciples. Jesus was preparing to begin his ministry, a ministry that was supposed to change the entire future of the world, a ministry that would challenge the status quo of all religious institutions, including his own Judaism, as well as the status quo of culture itself. Instinctively, one would think that to do something that monumental, you would have to have the best team possible. He would want charismatic, educated, influential people surrounding him to help him open doors, make introductions, and give him and and to get him into the most powerful folks in town. And instead, Jesus called uneducated fishermen, a tax collector, and other unsavory types. Penwell says that human beings would much rather surround themselves with winners. We gravitate towards the strong, the beautiful, and the accomplished. He says, I'm not a psychotherapist, so I won't pretend to know the psychology of it, but I think I'm on pretty safe ground here. We like winners. And yet, Jesus changed the world by calling everyone but winners, didn't he? And honestly, how did he get those guys to follow him in the first place? I mean, not only did he call them, which, as I said before, should have set him up to be in a submissive role to those who followed him, but he also called them out of a stable life into one of poverty and instability. It shouldn't have worked. People shouldn't have followed him. His message shouldn't have been received. Jesus's mission shouldn't have succeeded. And yet it did. Boy, did it succeed. 2,000 later, years later, and we're still talking about him, worshiping him, loving him, calling him Messiah. But God has always called unlikely people to speak for God's causes, to lead God's people, and to be world changers. God has always called stutterers to speak, sinners to incite repentance, and criminals to call for peace. And Jesus followed in his father's footsteps by doing everything against the grain by doing everything wrong according to societal norms. And in doing so, he created a movement so powerful, so threatening, that it got him killed. And in dying, he saved us all. As Penwell says in his book, turns out from the very beginning, Jesus flipped conventional wisdom on its head. He sought to recruit the wrong people and he did it in the worst way. This is extraordinarily good news for those who've labored throughout their lives under the impression that everything turns on being picked first. We have the opportunity by attending to the way Jesus called disciples to reorient ourselves to what God values in this new region that Jesus announced. Instead of holding ourselves to impossible standards of competency, Jesus shows us that God doesn't need much in the way of raw material to accomplish God's purposes. And crucially, Jesus' modus operandi gives us both reassurances and warnings. 
You don't have to have it all together before you take up with Jesus. But you'd better be aware that the whole enterprise is pretty risky. The irony of this statement is that even the warnings are good news. The fact is, it's not easy to follow Jesus. It's not easy to push against the grain of the world, to stand against societal norms, and to challenge people's worldviews. It sets us up for potential suffering when the world pushes back against the message that we bring. But the good news is that if we believe in the message, if we're inspired by the movement, the suffering we might endure is worth it. And we do believe in the message, don't we? That's why we're here. We know in our hearts that Jesus came to create a better world for all people, to start a revolution of peace and hope and love for our fellow human beings. In a world that seems to be boiling over with anger, hatred, and strife, we can be inspired by Jesus' good news and be willing to stand against such negative things because we believe in what Jesus is doing. The thing is, we don't have to be attractive or popular or rich or powerful or highly educated or influential or strong to follow Jesus. In fact, Jesus might be more inclined to call us to his cause if we are none of those things. We don't have to be anything special by worldly standards for Jesus to call us into service for him. In fact, we don't even have to believe at first. Those fishermen didn't know anything about Jesus when they were called, did they? They don't have any idea what motivated them. We don't, or we don't have any idea what motivated them to drop everything that they had going for them and set off with that stranger. But it didn't take long for them to see who and what Jesus was. And it didn't take long for them to be so inspired by what Jesus was trying to do that their sacrifices quickly turned into triumphs. Yes, Jesus has called you to follow him as well. You, with all your insecurities, all your flaws, and your damaged history, you are called into service to help Jesus spread the good news into the world, to help people understand that Jesus has come to save every person and to build a new kingdom in place of the ones that we've always known. As followers of Christ, we commit to helping create a new world, a world where people are inspired to turn away from sinful ways, not because they're terrified of going to hell, but because they are drawn into the loving embrace of God. We are creating a world where oppression no longer exists, where racism, sexism, and homophobia no longer exist. We are creating a world where all people are truly equal, and where every person has what they need because every person is looking around to make sure everyone has what they need. As followers of Christ, we are committed to a movement that leads people into an intimate and eternal relationship with God, thus helping to guide people into eternal peace. We might not be anything special to the world, but we are special to Jesus. And with Jesus, we can turn the world upside down. With Jesus, all things are possible. Amen. Amen.
Christ did everything upside down and backwards. He called the wrong people to follow him. He refused to schmooze the bigwigs. He hung out with the socially marginalized and he defeated death by dying. None of it makes any sense in a conventional world, but that's the beauty of Jesus. He came to do away with everything as we know it and to create a new world without hierarchy or status or sin. Because of his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection, we have the hope of eternal peace with God. Because God loved us, in spite of our rebellious nature, we have been given the opportunity to receive a gift so precious, a love so pure, and a life unending in heaven. And so I invite you to eat at Christ's table a table set for you with all your imperfections, a meal prepared for you so you can know perfect love after all. On the night when the Lord was betrayed, he took the bread, blessed it, and said, this is my body broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, blessed it and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us pray. Jesus Christ, Lord of all, we humble ourselves before you today. Thank you for calling us to follow you. 
as we take this bread and this juice, empower us to do your will, whatever that may be, and help us do our part to be your body in the world. Amen. Come and eat. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. Let us sing in celebration of all that Christ has done. Let's sing the rest of the verses of We Call Ourselves Disciples. The club and the cross before us proclaim our hope above the sign of our Redeemer, the vessel of his love. Once more the is lifted, the cup poured out for all. When gathered at the table, we hear communion call. We join with all disciples to live the word indeed, to share the cup of Join me in the Litany of Remembrance, which you can find printed in the About This Episode segment of the podcast. By partaking in this meal, we remember that Christ was born. Christ Christ died. Christ was raised. Christ Christ will will come come again. again. This is the mystery of our faith. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. And now, as we leave this service... May you walk out into the world knowing that God can use you just as you are in all your imperfection. All that you have to do is accept the call to follow and Jesus will lead the way. Amen. Let's sing together our hymn of sending forth. The Lord bless you and keep you. Unto you.